0: Hello and welcome. Hope you're having a good day of rest. If you're celebrating today, I'm Sean. you are watching Kingdom of Context, and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Lindsay.
1: Hey guys, Shabbat Shalom.
0: Shabbat Shalom, sweet.
1: Shabbat Shalom, babe.
0: If you guys, if you're new to the channel and you don't know what that means, it just means happy Sabbath, right? Just have a good day of rest, and um, hopefully you have a Sabbath peace. Is basically its literal definition, but it just is a is like a good tidings to somebody, you know? I'm saying, like, hey, hope you're having a good day. Is kind of a colloquial way but specifically about the sabbath since it's instructed in the scriptures as our seventh day of rest every week um we also have feast day sabbaths that are also considered sabbaths in the scriptures and those are coming up soon we got the day of atonement coming up soon the day of trumpets the festival of sukotes and so that's coming up in the next month and a half um yeah good season the <laughs> yeah. harvest season indeed so it's a good season indeed so we want to thank everyone for that's here and uh participating in the live chat we got quite a few people already Yeah, and I actually
1: saw some questions in all caps, like right right. at the start of the chat, if you want to scroll all the way up there. Um, We do want to invite uh, anyone who needs prayer to just go ahead and drop those requests in the chat throughout the show. Um, That chat, people can view the live chat when the show is replayed. So I just wanted to start including that into our Q&A's prayer requests um, so that anyone reading along um, can lift those up for you guys so Sean and I can lift them up um, later. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot in there. So, um, yeah, he and I typically like to rewatch our Q and a sometime later so we can actually read through the chat and see more of what goes on there because we have to ignore a lot of it just to stick with the questions. So yeah, if anyone needs any prayer, just please be putting that in the chat as you feel led. Okay.
0: And we have, um, a question from country dad. I think it's a little bit rhetorical, but still is an opportunity to draw a point anyway. He's asking, what covenant will we be in when we get our new resurrected bodies? And he was actually asking about the new covenant just before that. Um, well, that is what we try to define as uh, the moment of the, the fulfillment of the original covenant between the creator and mankind, the one that's listed out through all the scriptures, the ones promised to you know Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, all the Israelites, everyone in faith and belief in covenant Israel. And um, the idea is that if you practice the commandments of God, it's a good faith earnest. That's you showing him that you want to do that behavior forever. And so that's why it says at the resurrection, he'll give you that eternal life. You get to live forever. Um, he makes that possible through his son and the priesthood of his son, uh, sending his son to become our high priest to atone for us and then be the conduit that resurrects us to eternal life. So he makes that whole first covenant prominence possible through the fulfillment of what his son did for us and continues to do for us and will do for us on the day of the Lord, the seventh trumpet, where the saints all are resurrected at the same time. So at that point, we get a new resurrected body. Now, the reason why it's, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek question is because traditionally people at, think that it's taught by, by churches that you're already in the new covenant just because Jesus already came. And they'll take verses like, well, he's inaugurated the new covenant, like out of Hebrews to think that it must be applicable to everybody now. But there's qualifiers for the new covenant. Uh, The big one being we get you're in a new body with a new heart that has his laws written on your heart. And you don't have to learn the law of God anymore. Uh, You just you will know it. You'll always be without sin. You'll always be righteous. And then, two, you actually the father and son's house comes down to the earth and you get to live with them in their house. So huge qualifiers for the actual fulfillment of the new covenant which is why Yeshua himself is considered the first fruits of that first resurrection and has inaugurated it because he himself has stepped into it because he is already resurrected with that glorified body. Um, That's what happened to him, but he's the first of all the saints that it's happened to. No one else has that happened to yet until the last trumpet until he uh, enacts the first resurrection event. So um, that's why people get tripped up with that language and they, they think that, well, it's already here because, well, if it's already here, you know, ask yourself, do you actually know the law of God? So many people are fighting against it these days Yeah, and they're shouting them in the new covenant at the same time. It, none of it makes any sense. What, you know, what say you, Sweaty?
1: Well, aside from that detail, a lot of Christians really glaze right over the fact that one of the parts, one of the qualifiers of the kingdom being here and the new covenant being in effect is the nations will know that Yahweh is Lord. The nations will know and they will stream, you can't say, oh, know, you? They will stream to that place to learn his ways, to learn his law. So for me, I'm like, as I went through and read the Old Testament and read all of these prophecies that describe this time period for us, that was sticking out of my mind like crazy, being someone who used to be of the nations and had no clue who Yahweh was, didn't believe in him, didn't believe in his son, mocked him. So, you know, yeah, we're not we're not in the kingdom. We're not in the new covenant yet. And we'll be in the new covenant when
0: we're, when we're in our resur- resurrected bodies. Hendrik de Um sorry, I'm messing up your name. Hendrik is asking, is world peace now on earth? The will of Yahweh. Well, there's not world peace on earth. Um, the will of Yahweh in that regard for all the nations to be at peace happens when the kingdom comes and Yeshua himself is on the earth reigning uh, from Mount Zion after he's judged all the nations, right? And gotten rid of all the people that are causing problems and uh, acting in lawless uh, wickedness. So the, the, whatever whatever use of the term world peace uh, that leaders of the earth try to use now, I would not say that that is actual world peace, to be honest. And it's definitely not according to the um, the promise of Isaiah 11, chapter 11. If you go read that, it talks about the nations being at peace, as well as Ezekiel 34, Um, Revelation 21. So what do you think?
1: Um, I agree with you. Now, thinking of the different context of the question, if you're asking if his will would be that man be at peace on earth, yes, of course, his will is for us to all be at peace with one another. I mean, that's the very nature of his law. But if you're asking if there's world peace now, well, no, there's definitely no world no. peace now. And the, the false peace that comes through the proposed new world order, that's not that's not the father's form of peace that comes through forced, forced peace through totalitarianism, which is not actually peace. It's yeah. oppression. So just because, uh, you know, one body of rulers may be able may be able to take control of the entire world from a governmental standpoint and stop all wars between each other there still won't be world peace because they're going to have to enslave and oppress a lot of people to achieve their, their goal of peace. So,
0: And that leads into our next question. Royce, how you doing brother? Good to see you. He's asking, and thank you for the super chat. He's asking, um, he's got a question. Will the, will the beast come as an alien? Is that the reason why the whole world will marvel at him and think he's a God or deity of some sort? It'll confuse most people. Um, if you've seen our Investigating Babylon series, we try to walk through this process. We're going to get into more depth in that in our 42 series coming in November. And to, in a short regard, they will play the alien narrative. I personally don't think it's going to be uh, the, first, the first person that's going to be introduced is actually the dragon. And he's the one that they're going to introduce as the uh, progenitor of mankind's seed on the earth within their heliocentric narrative. Uh, This is what they've been building for a long time with something called panspermia. And so that's going to be for who knows how a decade, two decades, whatever, who knows how long that's going to be happening while he's trying to round the world into a uh, sense of this is just part of it. this, is just my putting all these pieces together and trying to give you a simplified narrative without reading 15 different scriptures right now. Um, So that's going to happen for a matter of time until we get to the 42 months leading up to. Um, the revealing of the actual beast of the pit that's talked about in revelation 9 revelation 11 and revelation 17 8 that particular guy will be under the authority of the dragon but personally i think it's he's going to be he's going to be worshiped by the nations because he's in the authority of the dragon and the nations have already given their allegiance to the dragon that's what revelation uh, 12 and 13 tries to expound to you so that's my understanding of it
1: yeah, I think it's kind of impossible for us to predict the exact way that um, the elite, quote unquote, are going to go about unveiling their true leader. Um, and it, the alien deception may very well be tied into all of that. You know, we just we can't say uh, Sean and I do think there's going to be quite a few decades before they can even get society itself to the point where they're so depraved that they can be accepting blatant idol worship and child sacrifice, you know, just as part of daily life
0: Or they have to minimize the numbers of the people that rejected.
1: Right. So there's a lot, there's a lot, we think there's quite a bit of time, you know, before we even get to that point. So, you know, who knows, maybe by that point, they may be able to just say to people, this is our dark Lord from the underworld. And the people will be like, yay, you know, so,
0: you know, I, I reviewed a movie on kingdom Cast. Um, I just didn't have time. I, w- I was wanting to do a movie review um, podcast, you know, and, and work that into the kingdom cast shows. I just don't have time with as much prep work as it takes and editing time that it takes to do that type of stuff. Um, but I, I reviewed a movie called Kingdom in the cabin, the woods. Mm, yeah. And that was the end of the movie was that the ancient gods would come <laughs> from the earth, from a pit in the earth and would rule mankind if they didn't offer sacrifices to it every year through this, this weird scenario they had set up. So um, this is a common narrative throughout ancient times is that to appease the gods, um, they, that's why they do the, the ritual human sacrifice. But at the same time, even the ancient, the Mayans, the Assyrians, the Akkadians, the Egyptians, they all have a story about one of their gods is going to return. So this lines up with what Revelation also talks about, which is the return of Apollyon. Apollyon a well-known name in the ancient world to the Greeks, to the Romans, Egyptians, Hittites, Akkadians, Canaanites, they all knew who Apollyon was. So when the book of Revelation was written and that name was announced from John to anyone who might read it in that that region of the Mediterranean, they all knew exactly who Yahweh was talking about. So, yeah. 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 Um, there's some interesting things there to consider. All right. Linda Bestford is asking, are we born with the Holy Spirit or do we receive the Spirit at baptism? Well, I'm guessing. I'm guessing she's meaning water baptism and not what we talked about last week. This yeah, is the would, baptism of fire so. concept.
1: Um, well, obviously, we're all born with the breath of life in us, but there does seem to be a difference between mm-hmm. having just the ability to breathe in and out and yeah. your heart is beating and receiving a deposit of the spirit, as Paul right. talks about in his letters, which
0: I think is the gift of faith.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I I'm like my own testimony won't allow me to see it any other way. Cause I definitely, I didn't have faith. I didn't have belief. I didn't even have any minute understanding of the word of God until I received a deposit of the spirit. So, but that deposit of the spirit did not happen when I was water baptized. I would have never gone to be baptized in right. water if I hadn't first received the gift of faith. So I feel that the baptism of the spirit is when, That's how I've always referred to when I received that gift of faith, because it felt like a baptism. It felt like I was being completely immersed in his spirit and his love, his compassion, his mercy was almost indescribable. And it felt like I was coming up. I did. I came up anew. And so and like a whole old part of me died and a a new creature came in that old girl's place. So, um, yeah, water baptism is not what brings the spirit to you. Um, although it's a good thing to get baptized once you have the spirit. I felt very compelled to get baptized yeah. after that.
0: It's a wonderful outward show yeah. and inward change. Some guys asking, is there any functional difference between laws, statutes, commandments and ordinances um, legally? Yes. If you were to speak with someone that's a you know professor in the law, so to speak, if I could put it like that or an ancient Levite priest, they would tell you probably, yes, there are uh, slightly different Hebrew words for some of these things. Overall, the idea of the Torah or these commandments, the instructions can all of these other words can fit underneath the commandments verse. Right. Because those commandments of whether it's a statute for legal judgment or whether it's an ordinance for how the priest does a specific part of the sacrifice. Those are still all commanded to Israel to observe, depending on what context applies to which person. So it's kind of a semantic question, if you will, you know, because like it's they're all technically commandments of God. You just have to look at the context of which one applies if you want to get s- strictly technical about it.
1: Yeah, so, and just like in your hometown where you may have noise ordinances and it's also uh, a criminal offense to steal something, both of those are still part of the law right. of your state. So right. it all falls under, they're all laws, they're all part of the law. okay. While Sean's looking this first up, I just want to remind people we are inviting prayer requests in the chat for the body of believers to lift those up at any time they happen to be scrolling through the chat. Um, and if you weren't here when I first mentioned it, the chat does replay anytime someone rewatches this later on after it's no longer live. Um, so your prayer requests can still be seen in there. So, And if you're watching this later on, have a look at the live chat that you can watch the replay of and see if there's any prayer requests you can lift up
0: country dad is asking can we explain first Timothy four one through seven please um we can uh as always let's read it there's a there's a lot here so i'm gonna (laughs) do my best i'm gonna do my best to give you the best quick summation we got to make country dad you got to make your your um your uh questions specific i mean just like saying can you take on 23 verses can you take on seven verses sometimes could be three hours worth of of ex- expounding and teaching and everything. So I'm gonna do my best. I don't know what vein or what particular part of these verses you're asking about or wanting to focus on, but I'll do my best uh, to run through them quickly for you. Yeah. Verse one says, now the spirit expresses stately that in latter times, some will abandon the faith to follow the deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons influenced by the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared with a hot iron pause. Any, any thoughts on that beyond what seems to be stated, obviously.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I it think seems that's pretty obvious, very right?
0: Okay. So people teaching bad stuff out there, influenced by demons. Not true. Uh, verse three, they will prohibit marriage and require abstinence from certain foods that God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Um, to me, the first thing that actually comes to mind is the, uh, uh, was it the 1800s? Um, maybe it was before that when the Catholic Council decided their priest couldn't have a wife.
1: I thought it was long before that. Yeah, I guess I've, I haven't really looked into that part because of I know they history. had
0: a, a second Vatican Council in 1962 mm-hmm. where they had a disagreement on that particular topic, mm-hmm. as well as other other things mm-hmm. pertaining to their priests. So um, that's when they started allowing priests in certain dioceses and certain areas of Catholicism to get married again. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is that, yeah, it's a false religion. Obviously, the biography of liars comes to mind when I think of the attached Catholic Church the teachings of de- demons and deceitful spirits also would fall into that parameter of so many things those that in the last 15 1600 years that that organization has adopted that's anti scriptural um and so i mean i don't think it's it's expressly talking about the catholic organization because this could apply to many other yeah. religions around the world oh, other yeah. sects and other little cult groups around the world but um but yeah that's just something that the whole point is you know you prohibit marriage that's literally going against the first Declaration yeah. of God to Adam and Eve, right? To, 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 he created a wife for Adam so they could procreate, fill the earth. Um, and of course, requiring from certain foods that God has created to be received from Thanksgiving. So that means now you're telling people you don't want them to eat clean foods. What God has expressly stated in the scripture over and over, these are clean, these are unclean. So we see that, we've seen that pop up because it's a it's a branching off of vegetarian veganism that's in, yeah, in, the, infiltrated the United
1: States. Yeah, the vegetarians definitely, um, and... The vegans especially get very militant about it. That, I mean, there are people who are literally ripping the scriptures apart and saying that every verse that says anything about sacrifices or eating animals was all added in there uh, by wicked scribes. So. So
0: verse four, for every creation of God is good and nothing that is received with thanksgiving should be rejected because it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. I feel like that would apply to uh, clean animals. And then verse five through seven because it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer by pointing out these things to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus nourished by the words of faith and sound instruction that you have followed, but reject irreverent silly myths. Instead, train yourself for godliness. It's funny. We actually heard a a, a pastor a year and a half ago talking about the uh, shape of the creation discussion. And he tried to quote first Timothy four, seven to say it was a, you know, irreverent, silly myth and shouldn't be done and shouldn't be talked about.
1: Yeah, I see mainstream Christians use um, the verse above about abstaining from foods to say, oh, you Hebrew rooters want us to abstain from pig that God made clean.
0: (laughs) Because they take Mark 7 and Acts 10 out of context. It's
1: sanctified by the word of God. That means it's food as defined in his word. Right. Right.
0: right. (laughs) So, yeah, um, I mean, as far as explaining these things, you know, if you're training yourself for godliness, which is kind of like it's still, we're stopping mid, mid passage here. But if, even if just the first seven verses came before that term, train yourself for godliness, well then that means that the things that should be receiver Thanksgiving, the things that God does teach that deceitful hypocritical liars who are influenced by demons are teaching the opposite of, then you would understand training yourself for godliness is to know God's word and to practice his commandments. That's what that definition means. So that, that way it creates within your heart, um, a reverence for God's word so that you are no longer going after myths, um, which would cause irreverence for God's word. But other than that, brother, that's probably the quickest, best way I could probably, you know, surmise those, those verses for you. Um, Stephen K. Uh, Workinson is asking interfamily relations are against Torah. So why was it okay? So just after the days of Noah, Interfamily relations are against Torah. So why was it okay until just after the days of Noah? All right, so I'm guessing he's asking about how many of you. If you read um, um, Jubilees chapter 33, this is the the this is a good question, brother. It's the best answer that I've come across in all my studies of all the scriptures and all the different canons around history in the world. Jubilees chapter 33, the angel tells Jacob, "We didn't kill Reuben for sleeping with Bilhah, because we have not given this command to mankind yet. The command existed in heaven. All the angels." knew the fullness of the law of God. But they said this particular command we did not given to mankind yet. Otherwise, we would be killing Bilhah and Reuben today. So we cannot hold mankind accountable for something they were not told not to do. So if the father is, runs into a logical situation, which is you got, you got Cain and Abel created. Book of Jubilee says they both had sisters. So, and they married, uh, as far as I understand, they married each other's twin. So um they're not marrying their twin. They're married, like Abel married Cain's twin, mm, right? Okay. Which would have been his older sister. And Cain married Abel's twin, which would have been his younger sister. So that's how Cain already had a wife to go to the East to land and not and build the city of Enoch and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's the um that's the best answer we've run across for that kind of thing, where it seems like, wait a minute, this seems like a double standard here. Like, why is he telling... The Israelites in, in the book of Exodus, not to do this, and but yet down here in Genesis, it seems like he's not getting mad that people do it. Well, the, the angel literally addresses this fact. And remember, the Book of Jubilees is the angel on top of Mount Sinai speaking to Moses, explaining the laws that they were given. And when it came to this law, mm-hmm. he gave a story about Jacob and Reuben that was the, the forefathers of Moses, right? And he's like, oh, and by the way, you remember when Reuben slept with Bilhah, right? Here's how we handled that. OK, so hopefully that's um, I mean, to me, it seems extremely logical that when you're when you run into that situation, the angel decides, you know what, we probably better spend a little more time explaining this. one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So because they were up there for 40 days, you got time. And Moses probably was like, but wait a minute, uh, you're saying, you know, don't have relations with 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 these particular people in your family line. Um, but yet he's thinking in his head, oh my God, I mean, but yet, um, so I'm sure they, they already knew in my opinion, I'm sure I, well, okay, let me feel like this from the study of Jubilees and the book of Enoch and Jubilees talks about how they had the writings of Enoch passed down to them and the Testament of 12 patriarchs, which talks emphatically about, and they all knew that the sons of Jacob, that includes Reuben that includes Jacob. They all knew the writings of Enoch and how it talked in great depth about the righteousness. And we don't have the full writings of Enoch today, but that was their Bible back then. And it had the full writings. It had eschatology. It had fulfillment of the day of the Lord. It had prophecies of the Son of Man. It's almost as if that got destroyed at some point or, or fragmented so much that the Father was like, I'm going to give it to you all again through a whole new series of prophets, right? So it's it's interesting to see the awareness level if you read the Testament 12 patriarchs that the sons of Jacob actually had. And specifically, when it comes to this law, it's, the angel has to announce, we hadn't shared this with mankind yet. In fact, in Jubilees chapter seven, it says that Noah, when he got off the boat and he saw a couple of generations down that his sons and grandsons were doing wickedness and being influenced by unclean spirits and, and going back into fornication and all kinds of un, and unlawful things, it says he began to enjoin to them, which means to teach them urgently the commandments of God. And it says specifically the ones that he knew. So he didn't know them all. Um, And I'm imagining this one mentioned in Jubilees 33, which is what, 26 chapters later, it was one of those that Noah didn't know back then because it wasn't revealed to mankind yet. So that's the best answer I've come across. What are your thoughts, sweetie?
1: I just wanted to add that, let's not forget that um, there was provision in the Torah for sins of ignorance. So if there's something that mankind is doing that is technically against his law but they don't know that there's provision for them for that so i would assume that you know as far as atonement goes and things like that for the first four six people on earth they were covered anyways so that i mean to me it just it makes it makes sense to ask the question it's a very valid (laughs) question bless you excuse me And I would just want to remind people that there is provision in the Torah for that exact situation where mankind may not even know that they're doing something against his law. And I don't know how else we were supposed to populate the whole earth. (laughs) So, but I know there's been like genetic studies that have shown that like,
0: it's gotten worse over time. Yeah. This is where people come up with the idea of, you know, multiple creation accounts that are not listed in scripture.
1: Yeah. I can't do any of that stuff. That's not spoken of in scripture. They try I've to go on what, what he described. Yeah, they try
0: to say Genesis one is he created a whole separate race. Mm-hmm. Genesis two is a different creation story guys. That's I would know. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think that that's what he's asking, but I, I don't know where he's coming from entirely, but I tried to address that. in the debate was in what we talked about that. So if you guys want to check out my playlist, my milk and meat playlists, go to part two. It's so funny. I do it. I do a debate over two series and everyone watched the first one. No one watched the second one. (laughs) I'm like, guys, the second one was where I actually gave my points to Zen instead of just letting him talk. So like it was the whole point of a a two-part debate was we had plenty of time to give our points. And so in part two, which hardly anyone watched compared to part one, it's where I actually give my debate. It's like, I got people on part one saying, oh, it looks like Zen won that debate. I'm like, I intentionally was not trying to offer rebuttals. I was going to let him speak the whole time. I'm going to give my rebuttals in part two, like we announced in the video. So you'll
1: have to splice them together and yeah. just upload the whole thing one of these days.
0: Yeah. It's a good good idea. All right. So, um, so yeah, we tried to talk about that though, as far as showing in Jubilees, there's no two creation accounts. It's all sync. It's all yeah. Genesis Jubilees. Enoch. It's all synchronous. It's all together. There's just one creation week. There's no pre-Adamic race. The angels weren't living here before mankind was made. We try to go through all that stuff. So um, Courtney Stevens grow is asking when and where do we get more information on Nathan, the prophet? What did he prophesy? Um, I, honestly, I don't remember hearing any kind of books specifically on Nathan other than what's already included. First and second Samuel. And um, so, yeah, I don't. Sorry, yeah. uh, sister. I don't have a better answer than that. I've heard anything like that.
1: My anticipation is that we're going to have the greatest library that has ever existed in the kingdom and all the books that have been lost that we have, that probably would have a lot of these questions answered for us are all going to be in that library and we'll be able to check them out anytime we want. Uh,
0: Kristen Dickinson is asking, is keeping Sabbath the mark of Yah? Not specifically, it's all the commandments. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're wanting to go that route, as far as is a believer sealed by the angels for the faith that's put in them, exemplified through their behavior, which is following the commandments. We see examples of that in Ezekiel chapter nine. Um, So that's what I would say, you know, if you're calling the mark, that word in the Hebrew is interchangeable with the word seal, same kind of concept. And and it's an idea of, you know, the angels being able to realize, okay, that person is trying to do the commandments of God. We can kind of see, uh, I don't know what they see, honestly. Um, I don't think there's some kind of invisible ink that they come by and put on you, but, um, And I don't think that it's like an occultic concept where suddenly your aura is glowing in a different color or something like that. This isn't Dragon Ball Z. So, like, I I don't know exactly, you know, what that mark or that seal looks like from the spiritual perspective, from angels and and from Yahweh. But I do know that it is noticeable. They talk about it. Uh, It's also talked about in Revelation 7. And it is synonymous with everyone who's in covenant with God, right? In covenant Israel, keeping the commandments in faith and belief. So... Uh, looks like we also have a question um, from Carmela Lazarus is asking, are the feasts of Zechariah 819 commanded in the Torah? No. We'll go there real quick and read them aloud because a lot of people aren't familiar with this. We don't talk about this too much on our channel. But, uh, are
1: they feasts or fasts?
0: Yeah, these are the the ones from Judaism. All right, so let me put this oh, on yeah. screen.
1: Fasts, not feasts.
0: So we'll start in verse 18. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, this is what the Lord of hosts says. The fasts of the fourth, the fifth, the seventh and the tenth month will become times of joy and gladness, cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, you are to love both truth and peace. So, you know, if you go back to where these were instituted, it was all about the invasions of the uh, land of Israel, specifically the destruction of the temple itself. So this is where these came from. These were man-made. These were not instructed through any prophet of Yahweh that we've ever seen in Scripture. But it's mentioned by a prophet of Yahweh to say, hey guys, these times of mourning that you guys do fasting with, that was a cultural tradition that had been adopted because they were they were sad that they had been invaded and scattered. We're going to turn these into happy times in the future. Okay, and that's what the fulfillment of the kingdom come is about. So, you know, just that's my quickest shortest answer for that
1: yeah and you can actually google it what are the fasts of Zechariah 8 and it'll actually pull up for you the history of showing you which because each fast corresponded to a significant event yeah. within the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple so if you want to know specifically what each fast was instituted um, to mourn specifically you can find that information via Google
0: all right um I'm gonna have to address this because the time thing has run out okay. and it's about to go away so I need to skip over a couple real quick to find it. We're getting more questions than we can keep up with, guys, so thanks for your patience. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. So thank you for the super chat, Torp Prospectors, and his question is, there are covenants made at Sinai, Oreb, and Moab. Which of these covenants is the, the law of which David and Paul talk about? Which of these covenants apply today, and what are the differences between them? <laughs> Fill out your Fifteen hundred word, seven page essay, please and thank you. Torah prospectors, great question, brother or, or sister. So covenants made at Sinai, and Horeb. Horeb is actually the literally the same word as Sinai.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: same thing. Sometimes yeah. it's called Horeb, like in First Kings chapter eighteen or nineteen. Sometimes it's called Mount Sinai. It just it's interchangeable, brother. It's the same thing. Um, is it in the desert of Moab? I thought it was in the desert of Sinai, actually. But um, but yeah, it's very different. And which Which one are you which verse are you mentioning? David has a lot of writings in the Psalms, there's a lot of mentions of David. Apologize, brother, I need some more clarification.
1: And which covenant at Moab are you referring to? Because obviously, we understand the covenant is not at Sinai, is the covenant at Horeb? It's the same thing, but
0: the the blessings that Joshua participated in uh, at Mount uh, Ebal and Gerizim, it's the same. Things as Deuteronomy twenty-eight that Moses said forty years earlier. So these, they're all the same terms of the same covenant. Just there may be some circumstantial things depending on like, you know, instructions as far as like we're about to go into the land of Canaan and fight these kings, and so we need you guys all to circumcise yourselves, Joshua chapter five, yeah. right? That wasn't an extra covenant. That was just right, them needing key. to do the covenant uh, intentionally and on and making sure they're all good before they went into this high-pressure situation. But still, the terms of the actual covenant are always the same.
1: Yeah, it actually says that Joshua inscribed that uh, agreement and added it to the covenant. So, yeah, he you know, it was it's all the same. And David and Paul are definitely talking about the same law. I mean, there's it's always the same, the same eternal law law of God.
0: But here's the, the question of which of these covenants apply today. Well, brother, it's all about context, right? The circumstance of why are those covenants made? Who is it talking to? Are you a part of covenant Israel? Ephesians chapter two, verse eight through 10. Have you come through faith and belief now into the commonwealth of Israel? You were far from God, but now you're brought near. No matter which family line you're born from throughout all the earth, you can be brought into covenant Israel. That is the promise of being grafted in, into covenant Israel, into the true root in the vine, right? Which is the root is Yeshua. So that's, the, once you're in the covenant, well, then you would have to say, okay, which of these covenant instructions apply to me? Right. You're, you're not a king. I, I'm guessing. So, I mean, you may be the king of your household, brother, but, you know, but you're not a king. So you the things in the Torah that apply to kings, they don't apply to you. Right. Are you a farmer? Maybe to our prospectors. So then go look at the, the land husbandry laws. Those apply to you. Right. If you want to if you want to practice those, because remember, brother, we're not actually in the promised land. We don't have a sovereign territory of Israel governance that is overseen a hierarchy of a priesthood and angels like they did when the actual uh, kingdom of israel was established in ancient times we're in the prophesied dispersion now so as a part of that context we're still instructed as part of the covenant terms to obey and practice the behavior of god but you, you just well you want to do the ones that apply to you you know what i mean um and now that you're in the dispersed land of your enemies you want to love your enemies and do the ones that apply to you, right? So this is where it requires us to be diligent to learn his word so we can figure out which ones apply to us. And that's going to be helpful. I'm not saying that you're not learning your word. Appreciate you being here in the chat. You probably are, uh, which is why you're here. We hope, we hope that's why everyone's here. Is they're wanting to know the word actively and learning it? And they just have some questions along the way, just as we do. And we learn too. So, um, Let me go back up and try to catch up to some of these other questions real quick.
1: Yeah, I would just like to point out that when we read things like the book of Daniel or the book of Tobit, both that were written um, by or about people who were in Babylon, there's no discussion between them and other believers of, oh, how do we apply this today? We're not we don't have a temple. We don't have this. We don't have that. This doesn't apply to us because we're not we're scattered. We're. It was like it was assumed that while you keep what you can keep in the dispersion, we may be in Babylon, we may not have our temple, we may not be able to do our sacrifices, but we can honor these feasts, we can honor these things, we can not work on the Sabbath, you know. So just remember, even before Yeshua ever came, there were times when his people were scattered abroad without a lot of the surrounding context for plenty of the the laws within specifically Leviticus uh, and Numbers. Um, And there was never there never seemed to be a squabble or a debate between them about, oh, well, this just must not apply anymore. It was we're going to do the ones that we can do while we're scattered among yeah. nations.
0: So, yeah. While wow. Yeshua told them to pray for the nation they were scattered into. Yes.
1: Specifically uh in Jeremiah, they're told when I when I plant you here, have children, build houses and pray for the safety of the city that you live in. Pray for the goodwill of the country that you're in. So. Yeah. Yeah. If he puts us here, then don't begrudge him that.
0: David Aldi is asking, is there any more info on Melchizedek, uh, Melchizedek, excuse me, out there (laughs) uh, other than what we get in Hebrews and Psalms? I'm going to get another
1: shirt sent to you, babe.
0: (laughs) So we get uh, Psalm 110 and Genesis 14 is the two biggest mentions in the Old Testament. um, As far as the Melchizedek by name. But if you're looking at by office, I mean, you're going to get it with Noah, Adam, Enoch, Methuselah, you know what I'm saying? Anyone whom that priesthood passed down to, this is where the big debate becomes like, well, who is, who is the Melchizedek there in Genesis 14? It could have been anybody. It could have been Eber. It could have been Shayla. It could have been Peleg. It could have been anyone in those generations that was still alive, who was the elder, who was accomplished in doing the commandments of God, because it says he was a Priest to the Most High God.
1: Yeah, you, depending which timeline you go with, it could even be Shem, depending on which
0: d- yeah, yeah, well. translation
1: you're going with.
0: Yeah, could could be. Yeah. Never know. It, I mean, they all lived a really long time, and Abram was still alive, or Abram was alive in the days when these people were still alive. I mean, they had long lifespans. So the point is, though, um, if you want, I mean, and other than trying to figure out like specifically who it was, if you're asking in with your mentions of Hebrews and Psalms in the vein of like. What other information? Well, I mean, you you don't you get all of the descriptors of who a priest of the most high God is through all of the mentions of the priests, regardless of whether it's Melchizedek or Levitical. Mm -hmm. They're all still doing the same instructions of Yahweh. They're still if they were ministering on an outside altar, same instructions apply of unhewn stone, built in a certain way, sprinkle the blood. Cover the dirt over the blood, like it's all the same instructions in Jubilees twenty one. I love it. Abraham is actually teaching Isaac the instructions for priesthood, and he tells him even specifically what type of wood you're supposed to use for the sacrifices, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, right. Because we don't get that in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, or Numbers. Yeah. So the point is, brother, it's just the, the the law of God is consistent amongst His priests, and if you're a priest of God, you have to know the law of God so that you can minister at an altar and prepare a meal for Him in practice and you can do that efficiently and accurately so there is no like two standards of like oh the melchizedek did this whole totally different concept than the leviticals yeah no and that's why hebrews is actually trying to expound to you in in chapter eight verses one through five just as the levites on earth are supposed to have gifts and offerings to bring for the father in a temple on an altar so does yeshua and that's what yeshua does actively ministering for us so that means all the temples in heaven and the one that Yeshua ministers in on the level of the Most High at the top, he's doing the exact same requirements that we see expounded in Leviticus 1 through 7 to the actual priests of God who are of the little bit of order, even though Yeshua is in the Melchizedek order. It's the same instructions, guys. The Father does not have a duplicitous two standards. This isn't two chains. I got two chains. No, anyway. So, this, the, he's got one standard, one way of doing things. His, whomever his priest is, no matter what order they're from, no matter what, uh, what qualifier they come from, and the order of the Levitical priesthood was a qualifier of family lineage. Mm-hmm. They had to be in the right family bloodline. The Melchizedek doesn't have to be like that. It's, that's yeah. what Hebrews is explaining to you. There is no genealogy of mother or father to qualify for that priesthood. It's simply you're doing righteousness faithfully. Well, you can be in this position if the father ordains you and nominates you. And that's what Yeshua was prophesied to be ordained and nominated, fulfilled it. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10 explains how he earned that position through obedience. So therefore he's going to do the exact same behavior as all the other priests of God. He's just doing it in a different location and from a different qualifying standard, if you will. But the actual moments, the actual actions that he does, it's all the same. So I guess I want to encourage you. You get a ton of information about what a Melchizedek would do before the God, before God as a priest of the Most High God by studying Leviticus and Numbers and seeing what the priests of God did. So, um, yeah, be encouraged.
1: Yeah, I think um, there's a tendency within certainly mainstream Christianity, but definitely Mormonism, to take this term of the Melchizedek priesthood and elevate it and treat it like it's something totally new and different when clearly it was practiced before Levi... Was conceived in the womb of before he ever received his priesthood. That was the priesthood that they were all operating under, and I think a lot of the confusion does come from Hebrews because it does express that Yeshua's ministry, his ministry, is a is a greater ministry. His priesthood is a greater priesthood than the Levites because of his position as our resurrected, perfect, sinless high priest. Yeah, it's it's him that's elevated and better in his priesthood because of his sinlessness he doesn't have to make any sacrifices for himself before he enters into the holy place to make atonement for us so that's what's elevated is it's not it's not a new priesthood it's not a special thing that only spiritual beings are we back
0: (laughs) i think we're back i think
1: okay okay so anyways, yeah, uh, Yeshua's priesthood is uh, a better priesthood because he's perfect and he doesn't have, there's no, no disqualifying himself from ke- mediating atonement for us. Not
0: that he does anything different
1: as right, far as exactly. his actions to be a priest, Yeah,
0: but he's better because he's a better heart. He's got a perfect heart for being a priest.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Every Sabbath we, this internet Getting spotty, that's frustrating. Um,
0: okay. So, Linda Beslin is asking, what are the requirements for salvation? Do you, you want to start?
1: Uh, well, faith uh, faith and belief in Yahweh and His Son, Yeshua, would be step number one. Okay. Right?
0: Yeah, that's, that begins the process of discipleship, right? Yeah. Uh, since the, the term salvation uh, built into its definition in the Christian perspective of Scripture is that you're raised to eternal life by Yeshua, who has become your high priest. So,
1: literally raised to eternal life literally. via the resurrection, not yeah. just spiritually made new when you receive the gift of faith, which does happen. It does. we acknowledge that there's a change of heart. When there's, you receive there's a moment of conversion, genuinely receive mm-hmm. the gift of faith. Okay. And I consider myself a new creation in the sense of I'm a totally different person than I was before I became a believer, but my body is falling apart and it needs to be complete. I need a completely new body with a new heart. That's fully has his law fully on it. So I don't transgress it.
0: So it, it, the requirements for salvation is the same front to back in the scriptures. You believe God exists, and therefore you want to emulate his behavior. This is called discipleship. Yahweh promises us in his word, Leviticus and Ezekiel and Genesis, if you, in faith and belief, trusting that he will give you the promise of the covenant, if you practice his behavior throughout your life and don't stop, you don't turn back to worship other gods and reject God, but you continue in faith and belief that he's real, that he wants to love you, and that you want to practice his good behavior on the earth. Uh, In spite of persecution, in spite of confusion of your own mind, you just do your best, right? As you continue to learn more about his good behavior. Um, This is what qualifies as being a disciple of God and a disciple of Yeshua, since Yeshua did the same thing as his father, Yahweh, and taught the same exact law of standard of discipleship as Yahweh. John chapter 15, 8 through 11, Yeshua tells us, I did my father's commandments and my prayer for you is that your joy would be full and complete. You do my father's commandments. It's very simple, guys. He was sent to emulate what the father would look like on the earth, walking around mankind. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's beautiful. And he wants, he says to us, look, I've given you the commandments to practice. If you get good at these, you're going to start to look like what I looked like when I walked around on the earth, because those are what my father says, is our behavior, It's the father and son's behavior, this wonderful, beautiful, Righteous behavior, right? We're going to mess up. He knows we're going to mess up. This is why he gave us a priesthood to atone for us when we mess up. This is why the son was sent to become our priest, knowing that we're going to mess up until we get to the resurrection. We're going to have moments in life where we slip up. He knows that. So that's why he is a merciful God who gave us a priesthood to atone for us when we mess up. So if you're discipling after the father and the son and their behavior, you're practicing their behavior until you die. And you're believing that because you've done that, Jesus is going to do the work to raise you from the dead and give you that literal moment of salvation where you get the eternal life, the John 3.16 moment, right? So that is a big, bigger definition of what salvation is as a concept, and then what the discipleship process is that is required of believers in order for that concept to apply to them. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, when Jesus was asked how to enter into life, he said, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So we can't. I know it's been so pounded into the heads of Christians for generations that you can't have this well, actually, not that long. I feel like a lot of like older, way older school Christians did understand. There's works involved in walking out your faith. It's just called and discipleship. It, yeah. Who, you know, who
0: decided they could
1: label works a bad word? I know. I, I, you know, I'm not sure where, where all that started with the hyper grace and oh, well, you repent, but but don't tell anyone they have to repent to be saved because that means that they, it's works based. It's like I just I don't understand how anyone can look at a new Christian and and encourage them to keep walking in their former sins and. And assume that they're still going to be called forth at the resurrection. So, uh, you know, the book of James, (laughs) book of James answers the whole debate for people, but for some reason, people like to ignore that book. But it's it's both our faith and our works. But the works have to come after the faith. That was the whole that was the whole argument from way back when, as far as you know, Jews thinking that they had the monopoly on the faith of Yahweh and the covenant of Yahweh, and them deciding you're not even of the faith until you do this work of the law first. Whereas it's not Paul was saying you have to have the gift of faith first. Otherwise, keeping the law is pointless. If you don't actually believe in the father and his son that he sent, there's no point to keeping the law.
0: So people are saying it's blurry. Guys, they do this. This is a part of the censorship. Okay, this i watched. I was watching a live stream last night where they did this. Um, They will take we're streaming at 1080p. okay, which is just under 4K. It's it's a it's a high quality stream. Uh, we, we pay for that plus high quality service of internet. YouTube intentionally turns down the quality level of the video. So you got to go into your settings and it, it may be on 144 P or 244 P, which are the lowest settings right now.
1: Yeah. Mine's it's on, on 144. 144. Yeah.
0: So you got to go in there and adjust it back to highest picture quality because you, this is how YouTube censors people. They want people to turn off of a video because they'll reduce it down to 144 P and people will be like, it's so blurry. It hurts your eyes to watch it. Right? So this is a tactic that they try to do. So just keep that in mind. We'll not be doing this with lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last call is asking if Satan is Azazel, Zazel and how was he in the garden to the women. And a few years later is with the other rebellious angels. Mm-hmm. Just, just like, just like he was in the, you know, as a part of the angels that, or help helping mankind. Um, there's nothing in the scriptures in Jubilees or in Enoch or in Genesis that tells us the angels of God were there was only certain angels of God that were allowed to go into the kingdom of the garden where Adam and Eve were. Because Jubilees 3 directly tells you that there were angels that were tasked to teach Adam and Eve how to uh, do husbandry for the garden and how to put aside residue, and also they taught them. In my understanding from what I've gleaned and concluded from all the scriptures, they taught them the law of God to a large degree. This is why the moment they're kicked out of the garden, Adam is already doing sacrifices on an altar. He's doing incense altar. Like he knows that's a specific uh, thing of the priesthood. So like, that's, you know, that's like, you've got to learn a lot of the other levels of behavior to get up to that point. You know what I'm saying? So like, you know, there's angelic interaction in the garden and we don't know how many of the angels they got to meet while they're in the garden. Um, This is the part I just try to remind people like it's uh, there's this we have these weird, this weird um, aspect of this picture that's been given to us by modern media and cinema and film where they they act like the Garden of Eden was just this like desolate place and just Adam and Eve walking around with a bunch of orchard trees. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, no, there was a temple in there. There's go go watch my video Kingdom of the Garden. Um, it's on my secondary channel, Kingdom Cast, or you can just type in the YouTube search bar, Kingdom of the Garden, Kingdom in Context. OK, and uh, do an hour and a half breakdown and, and expound upon the garden, what it was, what's going on in there, how it comes back as a new Jerusalem. And so I think that'll really help you. Uh, First Enoch 69, in my understanding, re- recounts to us that Gadriel was the one that tempted Eve. And from everything else we've seen is mixed that with other scriptures, as well as the Apocalypse of Abraham. We get an idea that Azazel has multiple names, just like in the book of Jubilees, he's called Mastema and he's called um, Satan at the same time. They have different names for it, just like, you know, we, we see all throughout scripture. There's characters in scripture that have more than one name. For example, Moses's father-in-law, Jethro, is actually called Roel in other places. It's interchangeable. He has two different names that he's go by. You actually go do a Google search of people in the Bible with two names and you'll wow. get like an entire list of like 40 people. So this can happen for an angel as well. I have three names.
1: Yeah. Well, we just talked about Sinai and Horeb. Right. It's the exact same place. So it's not even just people's names. It's names for places as well.
0: Yeah. So yes, there's, there's a lot into it brother. It's a good question, but it's a big question. I'm trying to give you a quick summary um, without doing an hour and a half teaching on it. That kingdom of the garden will greatly help you understand the dynamic of Adam and Eve in the, in the garden with angels interacting with them and teaching them how to live for seven whole years before they were expelled. So this is something important to kind of consider. It's why we talk about the book of Jubilees, why we've done historical reviews on the manuscript, how the Israelites used it as scripture, why it was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, why the first century Pharisees did not want people to read it and tried to hide it from history. So there's a lot there, but check it out when you have a chance. Um, It's the best quick answer I can give you. All right, MT in words 41? No. Quick answer no. No. I know this is taught predominantly at, at, uh, in a lot of Torah based congregations, and it's unfortunate, but this is a no. Um, you have to define what following Torah is, okay? Following Torah, there's a ton of people that believe in Jesus that are Christians in mainstream churches. I don't know you, brother, so just take this with a grain of salt, okay? I've met a ton of people in Christian churches that don't understand the applicability of the dietary laws or the eternal feasts of God, but they were a better Christian than I was. They were a better disciple of Yeshua than I was. Great hearts, men that sacrificed for for other men and for their families, men that had incredible integrity, trying to love the God best they could, evangelistic hearts, trying to go out and teach people, active in engaging to teach the, the next generation, men with incredible hearts, right? As a disciple of Yeshua, they just had a few points in their theology that was bad teaching. So I know this is a dominant, a very dominant and common teaching in, in some Torah congregations that the, the Matthew 723. 23, but if we've, done a, we've done a show on this where we tried to break down and show the context. He's talking about people that claim to be prophets, not just any random person. So this was a problem in ancient Israel Uh, All the Honestly, going all the way back to like the days of Samuel, which there was these guys that would run around and say, I'm a prophet of Yahweh because it got them respect and power and people would tithe to them, right? But then, was was their words actually from God or not? This is why we have the instruction in Deuteronomy 18, how to test people, right? So there are going to be people that try to fake the funk, if I could put it like that, right? And Yahweh's going to see their heart. He's going to know these people are not truly a prophet of God. They like they like the attention that draws and what, what little power socially it may give them. But they're not truly a prophet of God because they have actually done this, you know, fakely. They're, they're fakers, basically. Um, so ultimately, we have a wonderful example in Matthew 25 that should, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you believe this. But if this is the dominant teaching that you're going off of, the Matthew 25 t- verses 31 through like 40 should dispel this, this bad idea. Okay. You have people that did not participate in the resurrection, that did not know about Jesus, step up to him for judgment to be saved. Right. The goats, they're killed by the sword with the angels. They're taken off the earth. The sheep, they're going to repopulate during the millennial reign. They stand before him and they say, well, when did we go give food to the homeless, visit you in prison, give you anything when you're sick,
1: or, clothe you when you're naked. You you naked.
0: When did we do all these things of Torah for you? And Yahweh says, when you did it, at least the brother of mine, you did it to me. These are people who did not make the resurrection. They were not quote unquote saved. He still had mercy on them because they were doing the right behavior. So my wife and I have taken a pretty firm stance on this bad teaching that rolls around a lot of Torah communities that says people in mainstream churches, which 99% of us in this live chat used to be Mm -hmm. that somehow you're not saved because you don't understand the relevance of the Old Testament. And you think that you're just a New Testament Christian and certain things have changed and you have a bad understanding of Scripture. Do We think people that have good hearts and that are trying to know God and trying to be like Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus and do what's right and asking for forgiveness in their life and asking God to lead them and guide them. And they just don't have the right vernacular. They don't have the right understanding of Scripture because they're still learning it. Those people are, you know, it's ultimately Yeshua that it's, it's a judge, obviously. Yeah. So I, I'm not never going to step in his place and say, oh, those people aren't saved. No, they're they're going after him, even if their understanding is slightly skewed or if it's limited based on what teaching they're around. They're still going after him. And I'm going to trust he is their high priest. He will be able to shepherd over them and guide them into the understanding he needs them to come into. And I, I can't step in this place of judgment, and condemn them. So,
1: yeah, I would just like to encourage anyone who thinks this or is considering this as truth to remember to define what it means to follow the Torah. Loving God is following the Torah. Loving your neighbor is following the Torah. Caring for orph- orphans, widows, and the poor is following Torah. Prison ministries are following Torah. Uh, evangelism and, and trying to teach the nations the gospel um, of Christ is Torah. Um, treating your body as a temple is Torah setting aside one day a week to rest in and worship the father is Torah. Accepting Jesus Christ as savior and high priest is Torah. So these people are doing parts of the Torah. Okay. And the reality is not one single person here in this chat, in the Torah community, anywhere is fully keeping every part of the Torah. None of us can until we're in until we're regathered as a nation, we have our priesthood, we have our temple. There are things that even we cannot do literally to the letter. So remember, none of us are fully following the Torah. And that's why we all have to rejoice that we have Jesus to be the judge and to make atonement for us for the things that we can't do, the things we mess up on, all of that. And you know, I just, I feel like I just want to remind remind people that our sabbath keeping doesn't make us any more holy to God than someone like Sean's father who runs two orphanages in the Ukraine and the Philippines and cares for orphans over there and has for decades now. That those works of his father are are doing for those orphans is just as important to the father as us not working on Saturdays. So
0: my grandfather used to do prison ministry. He was a preacher for most of his life Yeah, since he was like early twenties until he was like 90, he was a preacher and he had a prison ministry where he went and visited people in prison and prayed for them, try to get them to receive Christ. So, and he didn't understand about dietary laws.
1: Yeah. And it's not up to us to decide who has had their eyes open to these truths or not. You can think to yourself, Oh, I tried to explain this to my, Pentecostal sister a million times. And she just rejects it. How do you know she just haven't hasn't had those scales removed from her eyes yet? I mean, I feel like a lot of us forget where we came from, where we used to have those same scales and we couldn't see these things and understand these things at the time either. So be patient with people, meet them where they're at, properly season your words. Don't elevate yourself and be holier than now because you're not. Okay. All of us have failings and misgivings and all of us need our perfect high priest to make atonement for us and resurrect us on the last day. Cause none of us can do it for ourselves and none of us are keeping the Torah perfectly. So just try to remember that guys. <laughs> that's if you want to fish for people, that's where we're supposed to fish. That's that's where we're going to have the most um, chances to actually disciple people because they already believe in him. And they a lot of them already want to live a holy life. They've just been told what that means is only based on these certain books of, you know, this part, this latter part of the book. They've just received some bad teachings and have misunderstandings, but they, they want to follow him to the best of their knowledge.
0: Yeshua sure faced the exact same thing. And I'm glad that you mentioned um, where to fish because Yeshua used that analogy. He also used the analogy of harvesting, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, open your eyes, lift up your head, and look around. The harvest is ripe all around you. And he's standing in Judea amongst Israelites whom thought they were following God, Mm -hmm. but they were listening to the bad teachings of the Pharisees. So there was a mixture of people that were not following God versus people that were, but were confused by the traditions of men. The Pharisees We're overimposing on top of the simple, beautiful and freedom giving commandments of God. So Yeshua had to come in there and actually have the exact same conversation with people because he's dealing with instead of just a a Trinitarian Baptist pastor that's steeped in substitutionary atonement, he had to or or Calvinism even. He had to go and look at these Pharisees who were saying to people, oh, you want to be you want to know God? cool, get snipped right now today and learn all the Torah in a weekend. And then you got to start wearing this and doing this and do that and make sure you tithe to me and not the other rabbi. Mm -hmm. And so you had all these people coming in immediately trying to steal their faith, right? And to say they got genuine faith, they try to manipulate it and turn it into allegiance to that rabbi. Yeshua in Matthew 23 says to the Pharisees, you go out and you proselytize people on land and sea and you make them twice the son of the lake of fire as you are. Because he he knew that these are people that had genuine faith. They wanted to convert, but then they went and gave them bad teachings. Okay. So we don't c- condemn people that have genuine faith and that want to know God. We just we're trying to say to everyone listening, open your eyes, lift your head up, look around. The harvest is ripe. If yeah. you came out of a church because they didn't like you asking questions on the Sabbath, well, guess what? It might be a little bit of uncomfortable conversation from time to time, but you've got an entirely ripe congregation of people that want to know God and want to know Yeshua, that you just have to have the patience to walk through the misunderstandings with them, which also could mean you need to have the diligence to know the scriptures, to know how to walk through the, the bad understanding that they have. This is why we do the live discussions with pastors on our channel, to give you an example of how to address those things in real time. Like rebuttal, rebuttal. Rebuttal, rebuttal. Like it's not intended to be contentious debate for entertainment. It's intended for your edification so that you can see if I want to go talk to those people I used to go to a church with and try to express the commandments of God are all applicable that may apply to them. How do I have that conversation? I'm trying to literally have it with pastors so you can see at a top level. Look, this is, you know, this is how you this is one way you can do it. It's the best way I know how to do it. It might teach you something.
1: Yeah, just remember, you know, the heart of Yeshua. He didn't condemn the people who were misled by the false teachers. They, Their faith made them well. When they came to him and showed their faith in him, he healed them. He didn't pull out a clipboard and say, well, I need to make sure you're doing this, 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 and this, and this right before I will acknowledge and accept your faith. And also, don't forget that time when the disciples ran up to him like little bratty kids and said, Master, these guys over here are casting out demons in your name and they're not one of us. And what was his response to them? Let them be. They're not, if That's they're right. not against us, they're for us. They. He knew those people clearly had faith to go out and start casting out demons and issue his name. I love so it. Those people remember didn't, that heart.
0: They didn't press Jesus for personal discipleship.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they
0: just said, look, we, we, heard, we heard what you said. We got it. Pharisees have yeah. been leading us astray. You got the truth. We're going to follow you. Yeah. And you know what? Hooray. I got this. I'm going to go read the scroll of Isaiah 2 and Deuteronomy and the Exodus numbers. Yeah. We get it. So we're going to run out. We're going to tell people about the kingdom of God, just like you are, Jesus.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So this is what I love about Acts. I think it's chapter, um, I think it's chapter 12 or 13, where uh, they find out um, that this guy in Alexandria is just destroying the Jews in the synagogues with... Uh, with apologetics mm. and, and they're like, but do you know about, you know, the rest? And they go and, and um, uh, I think it's, uh, Silas and Aquila and Priscilla, excuse me, Aquila and Priscilla, they go to him and they say, let me read the, let me read the passage guys. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Let me just go ahead and read the passage for you. Cause it's much better spoken from Luke who recants. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they basically see a guy who's out there and he's just taken the Pharisees to task. And, uh, and Aquila and Priscilla have to, um, to have to address them one second, guys.
1: Yeah. Ultimately guys, none of us know for certain, you know, who's going to be called up on that day. And so we just want to remain in that and just be safe with our words because the kind of mercy and judgment that we show others is the mercy and judgment that he's going to show us. So it's much better to be cautious um, in talking to people about what's going to get them in or not get them in to the kingdom. And this isn't, I'm not referring to just flat out unbelief and idol worship and evil wickedness. Like we know, like there are some people that, you know, I don't have it in my heart for them to uh, be saved on that day. There are some people that I'm looking forward to the judgment of God coming to them for the wicked acts that they have done in this life to women, to children, to innocent people everywhere. So I, we want to be clear that we do know there's a line that's drawn that, okay, yeah, if you're practicing all this behavior, there's a pretty high likelihood you are not getting into the kingdom of heaven. So just to make that clear, when we're ta- but when we're talking about other believers, other Christians in the churches that we ourselves came from, yeah, you want to be absolutely careful about stepping into the shoes of accuser of the brethren.
0: Because that's sin.
1: Yeah, that's slander and false accusation. You don't want to okay, be guys. guilty of that.
0: So here in Acts 18, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, that's in northern Egypt, above Memphis, above Goshen, right, came to Ephesus. So he went north across the Mediterranean into the region of uh, what we would call modern day Turkey. But back then, this is where all those churches are that uh, Yeshua is talking to in Revelation 1 through 3. So verse 25, uh, verse 24, he was an eloquent man, well versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and was fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately about Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him man and explained to him the way of God more, more, accurately. Accurately.
1: more accurately. More accurately.
0: More accurately. Guys, when Apollos resolved to cross over to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. What did they do? Did they say... This guy ain't teaching the right stuff. Keep yeah. him out. This guy's pagan. This guy's heathen. No, they said, teach him, to help clean it up a little bit. He's great. He's eloquent. He knows the scriptures. He's teaching about Jesus, mm-hmm. but he's, he's a little, he just needs to be cleaned up a little bit. So what happens? Apollo's resolved to go to a K where the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him, to welcome him, to welcome him. I, welcome him. <laughs> I can't say I it loud enough. <laughs> On his arrival, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, just as we all have. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Guys, I want to sit down with someone like Jeff Durbin, who powerfully refutes people of, of bad misunderstandings. And yeah. I believe Jeff Durbin has a very poor Trinitarian slash, you know, uh Calvinistic misunderstanding himself, mm-hmm. but he's very, very good. He, I mean, the dude goes out and literally fights to save babies from being aborted. Yeah. Right? I mean, talk about James one twenty seven, a pure and undefiled religion. Right? It's yeah. To save the orphans, he's trying to get to them before they become orphaned. <laughs> he's trying to get to them before they're killed in the womb. Yes. Like he's, like literally, he has the heart of Christ. He just has some bad teachings. Mm-hmm. So I would love to be able to have the opportunity. To have in his ear and a relationship with someone like that who is powerfully versed in the scriptures, but it just needs to know them a little more accurately. Right. So if I if I make myself an enemy to him or if I tell him he's my enemy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he'll never give me that chance. Yeah. We, we have to we have to understand people are at different walks. And I think the, the verse that you were mentioning in the Gospels, I think it's in uh, Mark chapter nine. Where they see this other guy out there doing preaching mm-hmm. Jesus and doing everything, yeah. they didn't know who he was, and they're like, Wait a minute, should we stop him? <laughs> and Jesus, is like, Why would you stop him? Yeah. Why would you stop him? Like, yeah, you know, did he have perfect theology? Maybe not. He wasn't literally walking around with Yeshua, yeah. but neither did the guys walking around with Yeshua. They still needed to have to be taught, even after Yeshua ascended and resurrected, after their discipleship period was over. We have the whole story of Acts chapter 10 where Peter still needed to learn the Torah better and the heart of the Torah, which was to not discriminate against people. And he got taught that by someone that was not even of his bloodline of Judaism, an outsider, an Italian, who loved God more than Peter in that moment. So like, it's just, to me, it's just amazing. It's amazing that this is why we say, we we constantly mention the two ditches. You come out of this bad teaching, which is metaphorically like a ditch, come out of the bad teaching of mainstream Christianity and you fall right into the other side of the road into another ditch of Judaism where you think, Oh, well, because you know, they, they're talking, they're using this word Torah too. And churches don't like that word Torah, but these people over here, they're using the word Torah. So maybe I should learn from them. And then you start getting into the Judaism, which is traditions, literally the teachings of the Pharisees. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's follow the narrow path, which and stay off these two ditches. Because the heart that goes along with the teachings of Judaism is exclusionary. It's prejudicial. YouTube may take me off the air for this because they're Zionists. But they literally, this is not, you know, ADL, don't at me. This is not, this is not a slam against any blood Jew. This is just saying that literally is their teaching, is they believe they're superior. They believe that they're in covenant and no one else is. This is what Peter was had to deal with in Acts chapter ten. It was a problem. It was a it was a prejudice problem. This is why you have. Uh, this is why you have Yeshua talking about the Pharisees like he does. They love the the places in the synagogue. They love the seat at the big seat at the table. This is how James chapter two has to teach the people in James and do not show favoritism. Even if there's a, a raggedy person coming in off the street, you need to love them just as much as you would the one who's the biggest contributor in your con- congregation. Like you need to treat everyone in the same in Torah. They're all Israel. They're all grafted in just as in ancient Israel. If you were a landowner and you were wealthy and you needed to hire someone, you didn't mistreat that servant, but you hired them and treated them according to Torah. So they could then be a better established in the society. So it, the whole point is, is we don't want to come out of mainstream Christianity which is too loving mm. in many occasions yeah. to where they allow sinful things right. and then step over into this ditch of Judaism, which is so exclusionary that they put blinders on you to think that Christians are the enemy, because then they're making you an anti-missionary and you don't realize yeah. it. So we, we have to just follow the scriptures and the scriptures lay out an incredible detailed blueprint for how do we practically behave and our mind and our heart while we practically behave. And Yeshua was the full embodiment of that example. So yep.
1: yeah, guys, there's sorry to, I
0: need to get off the soapbox. Sorry about that.
1: He's on fire, guys. But you guys know how this, um, how close to our hearts this particular topic is. Um, but you know what? There are plenty of really disturbing things within a lot of veins of mainstream <laughs> Christianity that we could be focusing on that a lot of other Christians actually agree with our problems, like the word of faith, prosperity, gospel stuff. Um, the there's a lot of um people out there that are doing this Christian Wicca thing where they're trying to make witchcraft somehow okay and Christian. And so like, and there's also whole religions that like to call themselves Christian that clearly teach a completely different gospel like Mormonism. So there are some you know, there are some things that we can all come together with, with a lot of our Christian brethren on as far as the things that are wrong in modern day Christianity. Um, Because there are Christians from just 70 or 80 years ago that would look at the Christianity of today and be appalled. So there are plenty of problems to um, tackle and talk about within mainstream Christianity. Uh, but turning around and deciding that everyone in those churches are lawless apostates, and they're not truly of the faith, because they're not keeping Sabbath, wearing tassels, keeping feasts and eating cleans. Because those are the four things that really differentiate us from the Christians in the churches. So, you know, just, just want to encourage people that there are some other things that maybe you could be focusing on with people as far as what you agree with them on and where you are, you know, brothers in the faith, where you do, you know, have the same ideas and perspectives on things from a biblical perspective. Rather than focusing on whether or not they're true believers, because that's the quickest way to um, scare them away from seeing any of the light that you're shining.
0: Well said, sweetie. One million likes is asking what's the will of the Father? Quick answer, do the commandments of God, do the ones that apply to you. I have actually did a morning cup of context video on this, and I'm going to screen share so you can see the title of it real quick. Um, I would encourage you to watch this uh, later when you have a chance. And so it's right here. It's called God's Will for You, Morning Cup of Context. Um, this is the info you can type in the YouTube search bar and it'll come up, uh, Lord willing, it'll come up and, um, I go into it in greater depth, but that's the short answer, brother, do the commandments read, which ones apply to you.
1: Yeah. It's hope that all would come to repentance. Uh,
0: the last call, same concept. If you're in Africa and people are calling themselves apostles, apostles means sent one means someone that's sent by God. Okay. So this is why many people don't use this term anymore because you don't have a lot of angelic visitation sending people. Yeah. (laughs) You see what I mean? Um, So this is where you just, again, if they're truly an apostle of God, some people do still claim to have angelic visitations. I've met them in my life, but they better be teaching the, the commandments of God, they better be teaching obedience to Yeshua, to the father. They better be teaching sound doctrine to, you know, at least eight out of 10, if you could put it like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. because I, I've, I've met people that claim that the angelic visitations and that were called to be a pastor and to do what they're doing, but there were some points of doctrine that they still needed to study if I could put it nicely. Okay. So did they have a great heart? Were they consistent in the faith? Were they qualified as an elder, a deacon or whatnot? Did they teach people the commandments of God just didn't use that language? hundred percent. Yes. In all regards, did they acknowledge what sin was and tell people to repent from it? Yes. Did they call it Torah? No. They just didn't have the terminology, the vernacular. They were doing the Torah best they understood. They were still learning, but they claimed they actually had an angelic visitation. So uh, that would be the the biggest standard, brothers. Anyone that's like Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, tell us. Anyone that's trying to lead you away to worship other gods, that's your first big red flag. Mm -hmm. If they're trying to lead you away from understanding who Yeshua is to you, that'd be another big red flag. Because they themselves want to be in that position, kind of like Catholics do with that priesthood. Um, that's, that's another big red flag in my opinion, but ultimately are they teaching you sound doctrine? Are they teaching you the, the right behavior to be a disciple of Jesus?
1: While Sean's looking for the next question, I just want to let anyone who's, who was late to the party know, um, we are inviting people to drop prayer requests in the chat. The chat does replay anytime this, uh, video replay, if you anytime someone watches it after the live stream, they can watch the live replay of the chat. And so if there's any prayer requests that you need for the body to lift up, please go ahead and drop them into the chat for us. How many times can I say chat?
0: (laughs) All right. So people liked our rants, but now we're going to make them upset. Ruben Searle is asking, do you think we're in the end times or are approaching revelation? Um, I've said in my investigating Babylon series, my wife mentioned it a few questions back very briefly, but We don't believe it's happening in the next 10 years. I personally think it may be another 50 to 70 before the 42 months kicks off and Apollyon is revealed.
1: Which is good news. (laughs) I mean, for me at least, you know, I would like to have a family and stuff before all of that happens. So, you know, I mean, I know that I'm supposed to, the looks of it i'm supposed to say i want him to come now now i want it all now but the truth is you know my life really sucked before i came to christ and i've only got to experience his blessings in this life for a short time compared to the span of my life before that and it's only just within the last couple years that he you know shook me out of the feminist programming and i even decided i wanted to have children So for me, I'm like, I would like to raise a few children in his ways um, and dedicate them to him before he comes back and, you know, resurrects us. So in my opinion, it's good news if we still got a little bit of ways to go and that it's not imminent. It's just happening at any time, you know, tomorrow. But I know a lot of people, for some reason, don't like to hear that. And that's not to say that we don't think we're in the end times. I mean, the reality is the last days technically are all the days since Yeshua was here. I mean, we we come into a part of history and, and the future, you know, we're moving inevitably towards that return. But as far as it, you know, every single thing that's happening in politics and, and within the world and everybody using those as signs for, oh, it's gonna it's coming, get your house in order, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm I mean, I've been seeing that since for my whole life, even since before I became a, a believer. I mean, I had family that was preparing for his return with Y2K. So, <clears throat> yeah, anyways.
0: <laughs> All right. Sunny Days asked about Deuteronomy 32, 22. Do I think it relates to the plagues in Revelation? So we'll go to Deuteronomy 32, 32 But there's some uh, context here. And, you know, that's always what we want to focus on, guys, is the context. Um, we, don't, we don't want to just we don't want to make a practice of taking one verse out of context and trying to make a, a statement out of it. Um, but the specific verse they're asking about is this one here for a fire has been kindled by my anger and it burns to the depths of Sheol. It consumes the earth and its produce and scorches the foundations of the mountains. Um, personally, n- no, I don't think this is relating to the plagues um, of uh, this is about the prophecy about when Israel gets in the land, gets established and then gets lazy and stops doing the commandments and then gets invaded. So guys, um, he just talks about, they become a nation without understanding. Um, or they, they'll be made angry by a nation with understanding. So this is what happens with Assyria and Babylon. When they come in, um, Nebuchadnezzar was, uh, f- was famous for burning everything. So farms, cities, everything. He burned it. Um, This is why there's still burn marks and some um, broken monuments, megalithic monuments in Egypt. Because in Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel 45, Nebuchadnezzar went in there and burned Thebes, the capital of Egypt, and Memphis, and Luxor. And Nebuchadnezzar took over Egypt and all the nations within the 128 provinces of the empire Babylon that he had a firm grasp on. Um, And when he defeated them, He exiled their people after he killed a large portion of them. He exiled the remainders and burned everything. So this is a common practice in the ancient time. So this is what I believe he's referring to in the full context. All right, uh, we'll take just a couple of questions. Uh, Gene, I think it's, I think I'm saying, Gene Riley is asking, what about teachers who teach about incarnate Yeshua coming as Yahusha? yahuwah coming as yeah sorry yahuwah coming as you should we've we've actually had a an interview with uh darian l um about this we did like a three-hour discussion on this um you're welcome to watch that on my channel here and uh he because he teaches that that it's like a oneness type of doctrine um some people call it oneness trinitarian but again only the trinitarians get mad at that but uh (laughs) It's, it's like a oneness doctrine that a lot of people teach. I think it's also prevalent in some assembly of God churches as well. And so um, we don't agree with it. Um, we believe there's two people and the father sent the son. It's really that simple.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: we don't think the father sent a version of himself and called himself a son uh, or cloned himself or duplicated himself. Um, we don't we don't teach that. So and we're not classical Trinitarians either. We believe that the son was not a, uh, a God man. We think he was born as a woman, as a man, as born the scriptures of a t- a woman. born, born of a, excuse <laughs> that me, wording, right? <laughs> born of a woman <laughs> yeah. as a man, like normal man. That yeah. way he could actually be tempted and uh, have to overcome that temptation through obedience. So we don't we're not a classical Trinitarian teacher either. We're not uh, Sibelians. We're not modalists. We're not oneness. We're just um, we and we just, just for those, those people that, hey, those people that believe that stuff, we still think they're in the faith. And yeah. we, we pray that they come to a more accurate understanding. Of the word of God. That's all it boils down to.
1: Yeah, that's uh, the most important part for us. Look, we don't look at those. We we look at those people as brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, the big difference between them a, them and us is, for whatever reason, this Trinity slash oneness doctrine produces this incredible spirit of condemnation within the people that believe it, where they are so certain of the understanding they've been taught of the nature of the Father and the Son that they without pause, will say and declare you are not of the faith. You are not a brother of mine and you are headed straight to hell because you don't repeat after me, such, 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 such about Jesus. So that's the big difference. I have to say that's probably the one doctrine that's, that's the most consistent fruit that I see from it is condemnation. If you don't believe this, you're not getting into the kingdom. Now, I'm not aware of the verse that Jesus is saying, depart from me, you who didn't understand the exact nature of me and my father. So no one, none of those people that like to tell me that I'm, you know, headed straight for the lake of fire and I'm leading people straight can ever give me a verse that says I have to affirm that the son was co-equal and co-eternal to the father, never had a beginning in order to get into the kingdom. So There is something to be said for that particular doctrine and the fruit that it produces from people. And that's the fruit that's been produced from that doctrine from the start. So this is not new. This is all the way back to the the second and third centuries where they were establishing their doctrines and things they believed and what they were as a church going to teach. And, you know, it just so happens that the Trinitarians won out in that debate. And ever since then, that's what's been taught as the truth.
0: One then. out. One out. <laughs> one out. Yeah.
1: Over time, that started happening. But if, you, if you want to call that
0: one out, in sure. In the
1: beginning of the debate, the Trinitarians were not just killing anyone who didn't agree with the Trinity. That's later in the church history. I just want to say in the infancy of this debate The Trinitarians won out in those early centuries, and that's what started to be taught as the actual Nicene faith, not even just, oh, this is our creed. This is the faith, the Nicene faith. So I just want to point out if there are any oneness or Trinitarian people watching, we love you and Mm -hmm. we accept you as our brethren. And we are not going to question where you're going to end up based on your understanding of the nature of the father and son, because there's no verse that tells us to do that. Uh, our prayer is that your hearts would be softened to us and everybody like us who has a different understanding of the nature of the father and son, and that you would accept us as our brethren and stop condemning us to hell. We would appreciate that.
0: That would be kind of you.
1: Yes. It'd be very (laughs) loving and Christ-like of you to, to be like Jesus when he said to his disciples, well, why would you want him to stop casting demons out of people? If he's not against me, he's for me. So please remember.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Discipleship dialogues for the super chat. He's saying he's a little behind, but bring back soapbox, Sean. Uh, yeah, we will keep bringing it. We have, I've been praying for your wife, brother, and we'll keep her in her prayers. We'll open that the treatments and everything goes, goes well. And she gets back to full health. I think he has three children too. So it's a, it's a rough time. my mom's yeah. sick. Mom's not feeling good. All right, guys. Um, <clears throat> All right. I guess it's been a few weeks since we addressed the worship concept. So let's do it one more time. This will be our last question. Uh, Marvin is asking, should we bow to Jesus or the father only? Okay, guys. So in ancient times, you bow to whoever was over you in authority. So many times it could just literally be your employer. Sometimes it was the Lord of the region, right? Uh, we, We would actually call that like a mayor today in most American cities. Other times it was like a governor. In American states, right, because they would be the, the the regional governor of that area. Other times, there were kings involved, right, or dukes or princes that you would bow in in respect.
1: In India, it's a custom to bow and touch your parents' feet. Your parents, yeah. you bow to them and you touch their feet because they're to, supposed to, be to greet 40. them Whenever yeah. they're coming to your house or whatever. So
0: when I went to the Philippines to my dad's orphanage, the kids run up to me and it was their custom to take my hand. And put it to their forehead and they mm-hmm. bowed to my hand just to show respect. Yeah. They weren't worshiping me. Yeah. So guys, we've got to learn. And Marvin, I'm not saying this is you. It's a good question. Yeah. To Anyone listening, we've got to learn the definitions of words, guys. We cannot run around saying, I believe the Bible, but never even go as far as looking up the definitions of words, which is like literally the number one step in any type of, of understanding the book you're reading. Okay. If you picked up any other book in this life. And you came across a word you didn't understand. What's the first thing you would do? You would Google it. Yeah. You would look up the definition of the word. You would maybe see if there's an appendix or a dictionary of definition of terms.
1: Yeah, I would probably go to the library and look for an actual printed dictionary from like 20 years ago before they started changing all the definitions of things.
0: So the point is, but yeah. there's a there's a definition for bowing. Yeah. It's called obeisance in the Greek. It's basically you bow to someone out of respect Because in that culture, that society, they're over you in authority. You're not worshiping those people. You're not. That's not what worship is. Yeah,
1: because what is worship, according to Scripture?
0: Worship is a priest who ministers at an altar to a deity, to a God. So the father receives worship from Israel, from the priesthood of Israel. Hey, who's the high priest of Israel right now?
1: You know, I'm pretty sure that's Yeshua.
0: That's pretty interesting. (laughs) Are you saying that Yeshua is worshiping God on our behalf right now?
1: I think that's what I'm saying.
0: Interesting. Okay. So (laughs) this is is why we have the book of Hebrews trying to tell us what Yeshua is doing for you in heaven right now. It's the entire book of Hebrews. He's your priest. A priest worships to the God of that covenant, of whomever you're in covenant with, with that deity. Yahweh is the father. Mm -hmm. He sent his son to be a priest, a priest, specifically the high priest. Interacts directly with that God to worship Him
1: through a process. Divine worship
0: is an altar, and He makes a meal, and they have a good time eating it together. Yeah, like it's it's a fellowship meal in most cases. There's some sin atonement, but in most cases, it's the priest making a fellowship meal with that God, and He's saying, "Your supports a mere uh, excuse me. You are superior moral character. These people that are not as good as you need." They need you to look the other way for a minute. <laughs> so I'm here to represent these people yeah. because I have superior moral character yeah. like you, Father, because I, I've never strayed from your commandments. Mm-hmm. So he was given the position of the high priest to be able to step between us and the Father. And this is what 1 Timothy two five tells us. There's one God and one man, Jesus Christ, who ministers between God and man. Yeah. He mediates. So he steps on our behalf to the Father, to the God the ultimate almighty, the ultimate authority, the creator.
1: The most high Elohim. And
0: he says, as the high priest position, Jesus says to Father, hey, please atone for the sins. Here's a fun meal we can have together to make you happy.
1: Right? Yeah, we, that's a very,
0: very elementary definition, but that's worship.
1: When we're living in the kingdom, we won't be making sacrifices to Yeshua. Yeshua will be nope. uh, With heading, us. heading up.
0: He'll be leading us
1: sacrifices to the father. So we'll all be worshiping the father with Yeshua as our head, our high priest who's coordinating all of that for us.
0: So Yeshua in in covenant Israel, this is uh, for everyone listening in covenant Israel, the high priest was your authority. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's levels of authority. This is why the most high is called the The most most high. high. Okay. (laughs) So he's got angelic authority under that. And then you go down to men, authority of men, which in covenant Israel would be the high priest or the king. Okay, so Yeshua is now the high priest of covenant Israel over both man and heaven, Mm -hmm. of earth and heaven. So that's why Hebrews 1 tries to tell you he's even a greater high priest than all the angels up there. He's been given a a greater name, which means authority, a greater authority than all the angels. So yes, we're going to bow in reverence and respect to our king of kings and Lord of lords, our high priest of the covenant, Yeshua. We're not going to offer sacrifices to him. Yeshua is going to lead us Mm -hmm since we're going to be resurrected into the Melchizedek order and become a priest under his authority, he will be the first of us, the best of us that will stand with us and he'll perform an actual meal and make a meal for the father for, for peace, a peace fellowship meal, according to Torah.
1: I feel like I just need to be like, Yes. Amen. <laughs> so guys, yes, it's, Amen. so I guess the biggest part of
0: this confusion is that the church has not been teaching this process of, yeah. of a priesthood what in Torah actually is. and actually defining the term yeah. worship. And so people run around saying anytime you want to bow to somebody, you must be worshiping somebody. And you're like, yeah. bro, you don't understand what biblical worship is according to a priest. And according to God's system, he set up through his priesthood. Literally the system that he gave his only begotten son to fulfill for you, to go and do that system for you, that process of being your high priest. Like he was like, all right, I've got this amazing system so that mankind can come in and actually have a wonderful fellowship meal with me. But there's a point of authority in that system that I want my son to have that position because I can trust him to do it faithfully and never not do it properly. Yeah. OK, so this makes everybody happy in the whole system, the whole equation. We do not worship with sacrifices on an altar. Jesus Christ, yeah. we bow in reverence and respect and in that form of the definition of the word we worship Yeshua as our Elohim as our God as our ultimate ruler in the covenant but there is a ruler greater than him yeah that he says to Thomas and he says in revelation 3 his god yeah his ruler his authority over him the almighty
1: our father who art in heaven so I mean, it, how do you pray he told us we pray to the father in the authority of the son he it's yeah So this is why, this is why, you know, (laughs) this is one of
0: the, one of the ways that modern church has confused people is because they don't know the Torah. They don't know what applies to the priesthood. So they don't know the definition of worship. And so therefore they run around telling people you should worship God alone. And then they see moments where they don't define the word God. I
1: was just going to say, they also don't don't define what God means.
0: (laughs) They don't, they don't look at the context and look at the definition of the word God either. So the moment that, (laughs) The moment they see a New Testament passage refer or even Psalm 45 refer to Yeshua as God, then they don't realize, oh, wait, even a ruler, God, a God can have a God over him, Mm -hmm. which is what Yeshua says, his God, right? Yeah, you can call Jesus your Lord, your master, your God, which that word means ruler, right? Because he's the authority over you in covenant Israel. But there's an authority over him. It's the almighty and this is the one whom the high priest of Israel would actually make a, an altar sacrifice to. So two definitions of worship. We have to know those as a part of our uh, discipleship. So we don't get confused and don't start causing random arguments with people that don't mean anything. All right. Um, thank you guys so much for your questions. Uh, it was a little bit longer day today, day, but
1: well, feels like it flew by.
0: I <laughs> yeah, really appreciate you guys. Uh, for all of us today, we just, uh, if there was any of the prayer requests in the live chat that you see and you've put, Father puts it on your heart to pray for that person, please do. Just yeah. take a moment to pray for them. And uh, we just hope that everyone continues to, you know, study your Bible, walk in love with each other. And uh, if you're in fellowshiping on this day of rest, hope you enjoy it today because it's the day that was sanctified by God once a week to be a day of rest. So it's a pretty cool system.
1: Yeah, I like we, it. we love you guys and we appreciate you. And thank you so much for all of your emotional and moral and spiritual and financial support everything you guys do for us so that we can continue to do this for you we just really really appreciate it so i hope you have a great week
0: people are asking about my shirt this shirt doesn't mean anything guys i just found it at target
1: we thought it was like it just
0: it's just a looks like some firmaments with a tree of life we're like
1: oh there's a palm tree the
0: palm and everything i was like accidentally perfect it's it's got like weird like all these different layers. It's I think it's waters supposed to be deep, baby. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be <laughs> sand or waters or something. So it's not, it's not biblically accurate, no. but I just thought it was a fun, easy shirt to wear. Yeah. Thanks guys. Appreciate y'all so much. We there hope you guys. have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time.
1: Love ya.